Five time keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Tuesday, November the 15th on the Memorial of St. Albert the Great. Bishop and Doctor of the Church, St. Albert, pray for us. Hey, what took so long? What is taking so long in Arizona counting ballots there? We're going to have a conversation around that with uh, Rep. Paul Gosar is going to be on our program at uh, 15 past the hour. We're going to talk about Arizona, what to expect when the Dems are going to control the Senate and the Republicans are going to control the House. What should we be expecting from all of that? Rep. Paul Gosar is going to join us to talk about that. Hey, we're also going to have an interesting conversation coming up at 35 past the hour. There's a brand new Catholic medical school out there that is uh, being designed from conception, so to speak, to deal with taking back the culture of death, one medical student at a time from an authentic Catholic perspective. Uh, Dr. George McCaskey is going to join us at 35 past the hour. Brent Taines is going to be our guest, top of the next hour. If you can join us, we're going to be talking about uh, COVID charges being dropped on an Alberta, Canada pastor. And then Kroger has had to pay $180,000 to two of their employees who refused to go along with their woke agenda. Uh, All of that and more on today's program. Lots of stories in the news, of course. Guess what? Several, and not just one, But several Senate Republicans are prepared to join Democrats to enshrine gay marriage into law. Yeah. Remember we talked about that? You know, what exactly are they conserving these days? Hmm. Interesting. Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Monday called for an investigation into how Harris County ran their elections. Lots of issues there. So they're going to be looking into that. According to a latest Rasmussen poll uh, just released yesterday, 57 percent of those surveyed said that they think there was cheating in the elections. 57%. That's a pretty high statistic right there. Uh, GOP is just one seat away from the majority leadership in the House. I guess we're going to see how that goes. A federal district court on Friday rejected the Biden administration's interpretation of the word sex to include sexual orientation and gender identity and Title IX administration rules. So that's good news. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. It's good to be here today. Praise be to God. We made it to Tuesday. God is it so already Tuesday? It's Tuesday, baby. Let's go. I don't know that I'm ready for Wednesday. What's, oh, what's on the what's can, on the docket can for I, today? Can I can I mention this? Oh yeah. So uh, I Wednesday. have I've received uh, a pre-production copy of The Devil and Belladad: One Woman Struggle Against Communism and Her Redemption. By Mary Nichols and Paul Kengore. Now, we've been talking this up for a while because Kengore told us he's got this coming. Well, they sent us the pre-production copy. I've been trying to skip to the pertinent parts because it's like <laughs> it's like a college textbook. I mean, it's just massive. And uh, it's a hot raging debate. Did Bella Dodd actually help infiltrate Catholic seminaries with a thousand or more men, corrupted communist men? Uh, well, uh, people d- uh, deny it. And people support it. What does the book say? We're going to have Ken Gore well, on tomorrow to discuss it. Is the list in there with all of the prelates that were, were infiltrators? Here is what is in here so far, I can tell you. Um, I will not give any spoiler alerts, but the, the book is documented. 
In other words, whatever he says in here, he has sources to back it up. Mm-hmm. To include documents from Congress. Whoo! Smoking well, gun. Joe, I have to tell you, in yeah. my bravery, mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. a list. Yeah. Of communist. What? And I have, a, and I in will expose this list mm-hmm. at a later date. At a later date. Okay. So, that sounds reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds very mm-hmm. reasonable. Just, just, Stay tuned. Bring Stay. back McCarthy. You have to I listen. You have to listen every single day because you don't know when I'm going to expose this you list. Know. You never know. That's in my breviary. Well, he's one of them. Irregardless, Ken Gore is going to be on tomorrow to discuss the book, and uh, so is Michael Hitchborn. So join us tomorrow if you can. We surely would love to have you. We have so much to get into today. Of course, uh, Carrie Lake apparently has lost her bid for governor of Arizona, so we'll, we're going to catch up with Paul Gosar, who is a, a congressman from Arizona, to, to get all the latest on that. So let's pray. Let's begin. We have so much to cover today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, now your headlines with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today's Tuesday, November 15th, and here are your headlines this morning. This one's from Breitbart. No mention of coronavirus pandemic as Joe Biden meets Xi Jinping in person for the first time in five years. Biden said he hoped that China and the United States would work together on global issues of climate change and food insecurity to manage their ongoing competition with each other as nations. He says, quote, the United States stands ready to do just that, work with you, if that's what you desire, unquote, Biden said. But neither mentioned the coronavirus pandemic that came from China, the reason for both leaders spending so much time apart. LifeSite News reports Biden admits Democrats don't have the votes to codify abortion rights in federal law. And those are supposed rights, by the way. President Joe Biden acknowledged Monday that the the next Congress would not have enough votes to codify a supposed right to abortion on demand into federal law, implicitly expressing regret for having teased the possibility before last week's midterm elections. Ground News reports Afghan Supreme Leader orders full implementation of Islamic law. Afghanistan's Supreme Leader has ordered judges to fully implement aspects of Islamic law that include public executions, stonings, and floggings, and the amputation of limbs for thieves, the Taliban's chief spokesman said. And Breitbart also reports NBC News projects GOP wins House of Representatives 219 to 216. A nightmare scenario would give Democrats 51 U.S. Senate seats and control of the House of Representatives. If Democrats win 51 Senate seats, Democrats will not need both U.S. Senators Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema to pass legislation. That could almost certainly mean the end of the filibuster that both Manchin and Sinema refused to kill. Without the filibuster, the Senate could pass whatever insanity it chose, including expanding the Supreme Court, socialized medicine, etc. And a Democrat-led House would rubber stamp whatever they wanted. At least with the House under the GOP control, there will be a check on anything about to come out of the Senate. And those are your headline news this morning. God love you. The saint of the day is one of the greatest Dominican saints of all time. Yes, that would be Saint Albert the Great, bishop, confessor, doctor, and order of preacher. 
Albert was born in a castle in the Diocese of Bavaria in 1207, the eldest son of the Count Bolestadet. Albert was of small stature but strongly built, having gigantic shoulders. He and his brother Henry's first education was at home under private tutors. That both his brother Henry and his sister also became Dominicans attests to the piety of his family. In Italy, Albert met Jordan of Saxony, a fellow countryman and the second master general of the Dominican order. Albert was a great, uh, greatly affected by what he heard and vowed to become a Dominican. Albert had not worn the habit for long when it became plain to him that he was no match for the mental wizards with whom he was studying. Anything concrete which he could take apart and study, he could understand. But the abstract sciences were too much for him. He decided to run away from it all. Planning a quiet departure, he carefully laid a ladder against the wall and waited for his opportunity. As he was kneeling for one last Hail Mary before he should go over the wall, Our Lady appeared to him. She reproached him gently for his forgetfulness of her. Why had he not remembered to ask her for what he wanted? Then she gave him the gift of science he so much desired and disappeared. Albert was one of the first to recognize, cultivate, and proclaim the brilliance of his good friend and student, St. Thomas Aquinas. It takes a man of great humility and great sanctity to see and cultivate the potential for it in others, and these Albert had. Then he served for a time as the personal theologian to the Pope and professor of Holy Scripture. He was made bishop against his will, and as for his Episcopal robes, he had just settled for a pair of stout shoes when he needed for his long journeys on foot. The people were astonished and called him the Bishop in Clogs, or simply Clobhopper. Saint Clobhopper for God, forever in the march along the path of the gospel, is what the people said of him. He was appointed to preach the Crusades in the German-speaking countries, a work he continued for several years. He outlived his beloved pupil by several years, and in extreme old age, he walked halfway across Europe to defend the theses of St. Thomas that was challenged. He fiercely and brilliantly defended St. Thomas in his positions against Bishop Stephen Temper of Paris and a group of theologians at the university there in 1277. On his return to the monastery at Cologne, Albert ceased teaching forever and retired permanently to his cell. He had kept the innocence and freshness of his faith and prayed like a child. He loved the Virgin Mary with tenderly and wrote one of his most beautiful theological treaties on her praise. For the last two years of his life, Albert suffered from increasing memory loss and ill health, which led to his death in Cologne on November 15, 1280. He was beatified in 1622 by Pope Gregory XV. And I must recommend the book by published by Mediatrix Press on the life of Albert the Great. St. Albert the Great, Bishop, Confessor, Doctor, and Order of Preacher, pray for us. Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. At that time, Jesus came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Now a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When he reached the place, Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. And he came down quickly and received him with joy. 
When they saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor. And if I have exhorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Ignatius Catholic Commentary points out that this episode is only found in Luke's Gospel. Very interesting. And the story is marked with irony. I mean, who is seeking whom? Was Zacchaeus seeking the Lord or was the Lord seeking Zacchaeus? Uh, Only to discover uh, that he uh, looked up and saw him in the tree. I mean, I think that's a fascinating plot twist there. I don't know if you caught that, but I thought it was amazing. St. Ambrose points out what sinner can despair when he sees the Savior of mankind seeking to save him when he beholds even a publican and a rich man. At the same time, who, as our Savior, informs us in another place, are so seldom truly converted, brought to the light of faith and the grace of true conversion. Hadock's commentary goes on to point out that there are three steps of conversion. One, an ardent desire of seeing Jesus. And number two, the honorable reception he gave in his house. And number three, the complete restitution of all uh, of all ill-acquired property. I would also point out that the whole fourfold repayment, this is like the like the uh, the zealous level. This is like the maximum. This is when you want to go above and beyond. This is like praying your rosary on broken glass in Aramaic. I mean, it's that level. It's pretty amazing. And so Zacchaeus here is demonstrating uh, for a guy who uh, had a reputation as being an ardent public sinner because who loves tax collectors? I mean, no one loves tax collectors especially when they take from the top, right? They, they, uh, they glean from the top for their own livelihood. The Venerable Bede, as quoted in Hadock's commentary, says Zacchaeus is here styled as a son of Abraham, his spiritual son, a partaker of the promises made to Abraham concerning the Messiah, not that he was actually born of his seed, but because he imitated his faith and as Abraham, at the voice of God, left the land and house of his father, so Zacchaeus renounced his goods and possessions by giving them to the poor. Close quote, Venerable Bede, pray for us. Don't go anywhere. Other side of this break, Congressman Paul Gosar from Arizona is going to be on. We're going to be talking about Arizona and what to expect in the next Congress. All that coming up next on Captain Drive Time. Can we be happy without God? Atheists say yes. We Christians say yes, but only to a certain extent. What's our reason? There are some natural human desires that can be satisfied without living for God. The desire for sensory pleasure, success, and loving relationships. There are certain desires, however, that can't be satisfied without God. For example, we don't just desire some love, we desire infinite love, love without limit. This is manifest when we get frustrated with imperfect manifestations of it. The same is true for knowledge, justice, and beauty. Since God alone is infinite in these perfections, only He can satisfy our desires for them. 
Therefore, to borrow from St. Augustine, without God, our hearts would be forever restless. And my friends, a restless heart is an unhappy heart. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. For 2,000 years, we've helped the poor and comforted the sick. We've educated generations of children, developed the scientific method and college system. We support marriage and human life. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible. We are the Catholic Church. With over one billion in our family, sharing in the fullness of Christian faith in the church started by Jesus. If you've been away, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome home. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Coming up at uh, 35 past the hour, Dr. George McCaskey is going to be on to talk about a brand new school, a medical school, a Catholic medical school, one that would hold the line and address the, the troubling issues we are seeing in the medical field, transgender, gender ideology, and so much more. Uh, what is the response to that? The Padre Pio School, uh, an institute for the relief of suffering, a school of osteopathic medicine, is being founded in Kansas. And uh, Dr. George McCaskey is going to join us at 35 past the hour. Do join us for that conversation. Joining us right now, though, by a telephone is Congressman Paul Gosar. He is serving his sixth term in Congress as the representative of Arizona's 4th Congressional District. Good morning to you, Congressman Gosar. Good morning. Good morning. Praise be to God. We're grateful for your time today. Uh, uh, all eyes have been on Arizona this past week. It's taken a, a week for Arizona to count count the uh, the ballots there. Maybe you can give us your perspective. Why has it taken so long? Uh, Florida seemed to get it pretty good, pretty quick. Uh, so what's going on in Arizona, Congressman Gosar? Well, it, it, it's, it's crazy. We're like a banana republic. But we've had mail-in ballots for over 20 years. And it seems that uh, all of a sudden we can't get it right. And so uh, we, we've got to do something better. This is counting for, for a week. We're trying to, the Democrats are trying to make it the norm now. That's voting week instead of a voting day. Now, these ballots, there's been a tremendous amount of ballots that were apparently just dropped off. So you had mail-in ballots and you have ballots that were dropped off at polling stations. And apparently those are the ones that they've been taking the longest to count, so they didn't count any of those until after the election. Is that is that the case, Congressman? It is. It is. A lot of the a lot of the people did not trust the postal service after the last election. So what they did is they uh, they took their mail in ballot and uh, dropped it off the day of or the day before. So it did cause some confusion. But also there was problems at the polls, and we had tabulators, almost 30%. It was reported about 20%, but it was closer to 30% of the tabulators that didn't work with those ballots. And it, it seemed like there was some kind of printing problem uh, that existed because a lot of people were frustrated. It took 30 to 60 times trying to put it through the tabulator. It wouldn't go so a lot of people got frustrated and left, and uh, some some of them actually persisted. And what they found is that when they did their vote on the the monitor on the computer and it printed out the uh, the the ballot, there was something very different. It, it was it was solid wow. margins and dark black, but the one they previously got had spots on it. So there's a lot of frustration, and I don't blame Terry Lake for being frustrated because. 
so many people were turned away. There were two-hour waits. People heard about it, didn't go to the, the polls. So a lot of different problems. And, and we got to get this right. You know, even the, the Secretary of State, who is Katie Hobbs, did not recuse herself. And there's, there's so many problems here. Every vote should be cash should be counted as long as it's legal. It should be difficult to cheat, but easy to vote. Mm. You know, I was uh, reading this morning that the Rasmussen poll indicated that 57% of Americans believe there was cheating in the elections. 57% is a high number. And uh, my point, my question is, uh, do you think it's possible for Americans to have trust again in our voting system, especially with uh, the, the issues that you just named, uh, mail-in ballots, drop-off ballots? I mean, will we ever trust our elections again? Well, you know, there's a way. But look at Arizona. We had Cochise County that wanted to do not just a regular count, but they wanted to do a, a hand count of all the ballots in Cochise County. They were taking the court, believe it or not. And they were, per, uh, they were told that they could not do that count, uh, specifically from the, from the Secretary of State and from the courts. So, you know, when people, you know, want to see the, the hand count compared to the tabulation count, uh, count it, it should be a no-brainer. And then you're prohibited to? It just doesn't make any sense. It mm. really does not make sense. Uh, Representative Gosar, this is Rudy Carlos. I have a question here, you know. Um... Up up to the the midterm elections, we were seeing this all this talk about the red wave. The red wave's coming. It's gonna be it's gonna be great for us. The GOP is gonna come out on top. Do you think that maybe that was uh, an example of uh, maybe Republicans getting complacent and they didn't show up to the to uh, to cast their vote? You know, I can only tell you what I saw in my district in my state. I, I saw none of this. I saw lots of people motivated. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we set records in our primary. So I don't know how that carried through, but there was lots and lots of people. I just will tell you, I don't know that today that polling is, is what it's all cracked up to be. Because yeah, I think, true. you know, people, when they're called, they don't want to get targeted. They they won't give their, their, their truthful answer. So I think it's really kind of an interesting dilemma that we have that to find out that maybe polling is is problematic. The other thing is, is that, you know, we're now starting to see the Gen Z voters. Um, they voted much more for Democrats by 28 percent, and they're motivated by different things like gun control, climate control, and abortion. And so, you know, this is very different. I mean, take a look at the, the ballot measure up in Montana. The, the respect for life is just not there in this younger generation. So we're going to have to do a lot of outreach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this morning I read a headline that says multiple Senate Republicans ready to join Democrats in approving and enshrining into law uh, gay marriage. And I tie the pro-life issue to the marriage issue. Marriage between a man and a woman is the foundation of which life can come forth and be the fabric of society. And yet we see too many supposed conservatives selling us down the, uh, the river on that on that issue. Which brings me to currently it looks like Republicans may just barely squeak by in the House Looks like the Senate's going to remain under control. It's going to be a Congress divided. What do you see in the next Congress? How will things go over the next two years, uh, Congressman Gosar? I think a lot of it depends upon, you know, our leadership. There's a lot of people unhappy with our current leadership. You know, we, should, we shouldn't allow ourselves to get caught in the trap that nothing can get done. That's the furthest from the truth. 
What we've got to do is we've got to get back to the power of the purse. These national emergencies, we got over 40 of them dating back to the 1970s. These are sitting there. They're in, we're in violation of looking at these. The COVID emergency is one of those. We should, once we're sworn in, we should bring these up, open rules, bring them to the floor, have the debate, and decide whether to, to uh, continue them or to kill them. And if they're, we're stopping them, the money should be recouped and shown to the American public. Recapture that power of the purse. And why that's so important is, is when you don't do that, you have an administration that will take that money and do whatever they want with it. Mm. You can't stand for that. Now, the law basically states that no longer, no later than six months after a declaration, Congress must convene to decide, must and shall convene to decide whether to continue or to kill a program. We're way past that with COVID. I jumped those two bills twice with Nancy Pelosi. She put them off with a rule vote. So here's an easy win right here. They have to recapture the power of the purse. Because when the administration actually does an illegal thing that you don't want to have happen, you can, it doesn't stop you from voting the very next day saying, no, that's not an authorization of money. We're going to stop it right now. Set the bar down. And, and really start engaging people. The other thing is, is we ought to have some rules where we're engaging the members of Congress. Last time I know, look, uh, Republicans didn't have all the great ideas. How about empowering the members? People don't realize that the power of the, of the House is not in the Speaker. It's not in the Majority Leader. It's not in the whips. It's in the members of Congress. And it's up to the leadership to find out and empower each one of those members to shine in what they're good at. We shouldn't be afraid of these votes. We should be taking these votes openly. So there's a lot of opportunities that we have here to place a, uh, a check on Joe Biden. And I think that's what the American public is looking at. And I think that's why we got mixed mm. results. They may hate the Democrats, but they don't love us anymore, any more, any more different. That's true. Uh, it seemed to me, uh, according to the exit polls, that uh, people, conservatives came out and voted to, uh, you know, stop the uh, tax and spend routine, uh, the inflation that's super high. They're, they're very concerned about the future economic situation. Those on the left came out to vote for uh, abortion and vote for LGBTQ agendas and, and so forth. Uh, will Congress, to, to follow up on what you just said, will do you think a Republican-led Congress will reduce spending in the next Congress? Well, that, that's you know, to, to be seen. We we have to have uh, leadership that is, you know, is 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 really uh, pointed about change. I'll give you an example. You know, we make this profession that we're going to stop the 87,000 uh, IRS agents coming about. Mm-hmm. Well, how are you going to do? You, you can do it as a as a perfunctory show vote, and and you know vote it down and not do anything with it. But are you prepared to really do it? And and, and other issues. And what you do there is it's it's about spending. So stand up for what you want for spending. Get it exactly the way you want it. Be the bully pulpit against the Senate. And when you get that through, what you do is you make the president shut this government down with his pen. How long are you willing to endure that? And during that time, why don't you put the bureaucrats and the administration on notice? Start working with the states like Ron DeSantis and, and Texas and Virginia on the issues of education, uh, energy, all those things. Devolve that power. So put their necks in a ringer as well. That There's consequences for their actions. There's so many possibilities here. You allow yourself to be uh, cornered into the market if you don't think about this constructively. I think Einstein once said, 
It's not thinking more. It's thinking differently. Mm. We're down to just a minute left with uh, Congressman Gosar. What investigations do you think uh, the Republicans will call for in the next Congress since they'll have the subpoena power now? Well, I, I, and I'll say this with a caveat. I certainly hope they follow through because leadership has shown, shown uh, uh, at least him hinted at uh, backing away from this. But we, Hunter Biden has to be that. Uh, we have to look at this. You know, what's going on at our borders, you know, where we're losing, you know, 100,000 people every year to drug overdoses, the human smuggling that's going on, the, the, the chaos at the border. You know, uh, I hope those are the investigations we look at. You know, the Fauci issue with the COVID, you know, this was, this was a maniacal against the American uh, uh, psyche. And, and there's, like I said, there's so many options. I mean, you know, go back to our Constitution and the framework. You know, what about uh, placing the blame and, and ownership on the DOJ and, and FBI? How about letters of mark and reprisal, where we actually put bounties on those those uh, at a border that are causing that chaos, bringing in the drugs, bringing in the human smuggling? You know, turn it loose so that we actually enforce enforce the uh, Department of Justice to do its job. You know, I think there's so many things that we could do here. Um, it, it's, just, it's just we're limited by people that don't think outside the box. And uh, so last question here. What what ability will uh, the Democrats have to stop any of those investigations in a Republican-led Congress? Well, I, they're definitely going to have – it's going to be a 50-50 split at the very best for us in the Senate. So, you know, a lot of that can happen there, but – I think it's, it's just what what we we do and, and how we prepare that. You know, mm, what are okay. we doing? Records to make sure we get those records. I think it's all up to oh, power. Oh, I'm sorry, Congressman. We are out of time. <clears throat> Paul Gosar in uh, Arizona's 4th Congressional District. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate you, Congressman. God bless you. Have a great day. Don't go anywhere. After the break, we're going to have a conversation about taking back the medical schools, one student at a time. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that the world associates fanaticism with religion? But G.K. Chesterton says that the strangest fanaticism that fills our time is the fanatical hatred of morality, especially of Christian morality. It is the irreligious who are fanatical in their hatred of religion. They hate religion because religion is the only basis for morality. They hate morality because it is clear. And they prefer things to be vague. Vague to the point where they can call wrongs rights. But we cannot call something a right when it defies God's laws. We can only call it a sin because all rights come from God. And God is not going to break his own laws. Neither should we. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. It's to truly save souls. It's to save souls. And we have a lot of different media platforms, whether it's through our TV, radio, music, and it's all promoting this culture that is really here to kill, steal, and destroy souls. And to have that Catholic voice on the air that is proclaiming the good news and able to touch and transform lives, um, what better thing to support? The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And now more headlines. This one's out of the post-millennial. 
journalism is most regretted major for college grads. CNBC reports that a whopping 87% of college students regretted their journalism degree, according to a survey of over 1,500 college grads seeking jobs by ZipRecruiter. In the survey, sociology tied with liberal arts slash general studies degrees in second place, both warranting 72% of graduates saying they regretted making the choice to major in the field. 64% of communications majors said they regretted their choice of a degree, followed by 61% of those with educational degrees. CNA reports 10 things to look out for at the U.S. Bishops' Fall Meeting this week. The USCCB will hold its annual fall meeting this week in Baltimore. Here are a few things that are on the docket. The meeting will mark the end of Archbishop Jose Gomez's three-year term as president of the USCCB, and they'll elect a new president as well as possible revisions to voting guides for Catholics. I think that's a little too late. The bishops will discuss the Synod on Synodality and the preliminary findings of the church's listening sessions. With the September release of the National Synthesis, the bishops are moving from the diocesan phase of the listening process to the continental phase and decide what findings they choose to highlight. Pope Francis announced the extension of the Synod through October 2024. And the National Catholic Register reports FBI releases video of attack of firebombed Buffalo Pregnancy Center, says FACE Act charges are possible. The FBI also announced a reward of up to $25,000 for any information leading to the arrest of the arsonists. And in another notable development, the FBI's press release states that the, those responsible for the vandalism could be charged with a violation of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, or the FACE Act, which has been used predominantly, if not exclusively, against pro-life activists. Jim Harden, the CEO of the Firebomb Pregnancy Center, says that he is pleased that the FBI's released the footage and some photos, although he said he was not happy that the release came 161 days following the arson of his clinic. He said he's skeptical of the FBI, especially given the severe criticism that the organization has received from pro-life lawmakers following a slate of arrests of pro-lifers. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Joining us right now via Zoom, via Zoom chat is Dr. George McCaskew, founding president and CEO of St. Padre Pio Institute for the Re- Relief of Suffering. And I will get it out eventually. Good morning to you, Dr. McCaskew. Good morning. Grateful to have you on today. Uh, just uh, recently, um, maybe was it a month ago, there was a video uh, being passed around the interwebs of a class of medical students taking not the Hippocratic Oath, but some other kind of oath that seemed to, uh, uh, you know, enshrine woke culture in their medical practice and their future medical practices. And I thought this was very shocking. And so when we came across the St. Padre Pio Institute for the Relief of Suffering, a new medical school with Catholic identity, one that uh, purports, purports to have a strong Catholic presence in their moral and ethic uh, teaching in medical practice, we thought this was very interesting. Please tell us about what you are doing in Kansas. Uh, thank you, Joe. Uh, yeah, we saw the need uh, for a faithful Catholic medical school. I mean, higher education in general is very liberal, very left-leaning. Medical schools are somewhere left of that. And as you saw with that um, medical school in Minnesota, the University of Minnesota, their pledge was to fight against the oppression of uh, genderism. I'm not even sure what that means, but that's that's what the pledge was. And just before that, at the University of um, 
uh, Michigan Medical School, there 60% of their white uh, initial opening class white coat ceremony. So when students start medical school, there's a ceremony where they get the white coat. It's a very, you know, solemn and celebrating occasion when a medical school student starts their journey. And 60% of the class turned their backs and walked out on uh, the speaker, who was a very prominent, uh, well-regarded uh, physician um, and bioethicist, simply because this individual had a history of pro-life uh, opinions. The speech itself had nothing to do with abortion. Hmm. So that's the kind of environment we find ourselves in. Uh, our healthcare system is broken. Um, as I've said, 65 million children have died in a genocide since 1973 that was facilitated by the participation of physicians. The culture of death that we find ourselves in has largely been facilitated by the practice of modern medicine. And we felt there was a need, uh, we being Catholic Healthcare International, felt there was a need for a medical school that would take a strong moral, a strong Catholic position on issues like abortion, end-of-life care, um, gender identity, those sorts of issues. So we are uh, developing, has signed a affiliation agreement and are developing uh, an independent medical school on the campus of Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, uh, to stand for these Catholic values. It will be the only medical school in the world that functions under the doctrine of ex corde ecclesiae, which is uh, the doctrine that St. Paul, John, uh, John Paul II, uh, established to define what is a Catholic institution of higher education. Um, so all the senior leadership, <clears throat> all the members of the Board of Trustees will be Catholic. As much of the faculty uh, as possible will be Catholic. And every employee of the medical school, Catholic or not, will have to sign a mandatum of loyalty to Catholic principles wow. uh, as a condition of employment. Uh, so this is not a school that will shy away from calling abortion the murder that it is, from calling euthanasia the murder that it is, from calling uh, gender dysphoria the psychiatric pathology that it is, that requires care with love and compassion, but care nonetheless, not celebration. Wow, that's amazing, especially since, I mean, I have so many things there. One, I can't encourage enough anyone who attends a Catholic university or has family at a Catholic university to read Excorde Ecclesia. We were fighting for that at the University of St. Thomas when I was there. But one thing that I noticed, and I have a lot of friends in medical school, and the whole uh, topic of abortion has been a thing for, for a decade or more than a decade in the medical schools. But right now, uh, friends who uh, I won't even mention where they go to school or their names because they'll get in trouble, they were telling me in medical school they're being attacked for trying to hold to the authentic view of men and women. And that in medical school, where you would assume that you would understand biology, understand what a man is and what a woman is, and it's necessary for medical care, they're being sh having gender ideology shoved down their throats saying that they have to respect their patient's uh, gender pronouns and they have to, uh, they can't ask someone or check someone who identifies in a certain way. Uh, what, what, could you talk, speak about that specific issue in regards to uh, your university and the issue that this has on the medical field? Well, medical schools are all trying to be woke, for lack of a better term. And they, a lot of them teach what is popular rather than what is right. I mean, a medical school should be teaching what is right, what is scientifically accurate. We know that historically, 
until this era, the rate of true uh, gender dysphoria was about 0.5%. I mean, really just a blip on the radar uh, and really not think much. And we've seen increases in that diagnosis of four or 500%. And it's not because there's something in the water. It's not because of some side effect of the COVID. It's because this has become a fad, a trend, if you will, uh, particularly amongst younger people. I mean, you and I both know that the time of uh, early adolescence, uh, early adulthood is a confusing time. And there's a lot of uh, hormonal issues going on, a lot of societal issues. And not everybody um, who has a confusing thought needs to have uh, puberty blockers and surgery and, and their genders changed. In fact, that's almost never the case. And in the cases where, where that is a true pathology, that needs to be addressed uh, in, a, in a medical fashion uh, to get these people the care that they need. So let me ask you a, a housekeeping question. How long is it going to take? You, you guys are at, at uh, you've signed a lease apparently with the school in, in Kansas, the Benedictine school there. And so you have, you have a partnership, but how long, what's the ramp up? What's the, how, how long does it take to actually get a school open, uh, students admitted and learning to graduation and becoming doctors? What does that process look like? Complicated. Medical schools are very, very complicated endeavors. They're highly regulated. I like to say that we're more highly regulated than the airlines. The uh, Commission on Osteopathic College Accreditation, uh, commonly called the COCA, is the accreditor uh, deemed uh, responsible by the U.S. Department of Education for approving osteopathic uh, medical schools. They have very high standards. They have multiple uh, standards and policies that a school has to adhere to. Mm. So any school that is in operation in the United States operates at a very high standard of excellence. Uh, so we have to meet all those standards. Uh, and it takes a while to develop all that. It's also a very expensive project. Uh, this is about $120 million project all total. Uh, like Padre Pio, when he first established his uh, Casa uh, for the Relief of Suffering in Italy, uh, it's driven entirely on goodwill and donations. So if we get all the uh, money that we need, uh, if we meet the accreditation parameters, uh, so there's a lot of uh, – a lot of ifs there, yeah. but if that all works, um, we should be able to open our doors uh, for students in 2026 and graduate the first class in, in 2030. Uh, a medical degree is pretty useless, uh, either a DO or MD degree. I mean, anybody with those degrees has to go out and do a residency. So after graduation, the students go out into the United States and uh, do a residency in some field of practice. So, and once they're finished, then they can start practicing. We'll be establishing faithful Catholic residencies. Hold that thought. Well. Hold that thought right there. We have a quick network break to take. Dr. George McCaskey is our guest. We're talking about an authentically Catholic medical school. All that and more is coming up right after this quick break. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTague, host of The Catholic Current, where we bring Christ to the world and the world to Christ. We look at current events through the eyes of faith. I hope you'll join us each Monday and Friday for guests and topics you can't afford to miss. That's The Catholic Current, heard Monday and Friday right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no comment commentary needed there. Secondly, you going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Dr. George McCaskey is our guest, founding president of the School of St. Padre Pio Institute for the Relief of Suffering, School of Osteopathic Medicine, which is a really fascinating concept that we are praying actually happens. Uh, welcome back to the program, Dr. McCaskey. Uh, so, I, you were talking about the ramp up and how there's like uh, you're talking 2030 before we're starting to see a crop of doctors who have gone through such a school. You still have residencies to worry about. And to be frank, I don't want to throw this on the table before I let you finish that thought and continue on. Uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned about uh, the funding issue. So students who take federal are they going to be able to have federal loans to go to this school? And if so, Federal loans tend to come with strings attached, and that's how schools tend to lose their Catholic fervor. So what does the future look like for your school and for those students, uh, et cetera, Dr. McCaskey? The future still looks good as far as federal loans are concerned. Uh, Federal loans are operated under a program called Title IV, and while it's true that there's a lot of strings on a school, thus far... um, the Department of Education has not infringed on the religious liberty of schools, their First Amendment uh, right to practice uh, expression of religion and meet their mission. Now, there are a lot of other ways of paying for medical school. We do intend to be Title IV qualified and for the students to be eligible for those loans. However, if something changes in the administration uh, or the Department of Education where there would be required for us to violate our rights of conscience, then there are private loans uh, available in the market. Uh, I've started four other medical schools in the United States, wow. and some of those schools were not eligible for Title IV for several years, just based on their their business structure, their governance. And the students did fine with loans in the private market. Uh, in general, medical students have the lowest default rate on student loans. In the industry, they have the lowest attrition rate on their education. So they're a good credit risk, if you will, Mm. for medical school loans. So there's a vigorous private uh, loan market. As you know, there are a couple of colleges, uh, Catholic colleges in the U.S. Christendom College comes to mind in Front Royal, Virginia, that do not take Title IV funding because they don't want to be subject to those, uh, those strings, if you will, of the government. We don't believe those strings are, are onerous at the moment because they don't infringe on uh, the rights of conscience, but we keep an eye out for that. Mm-hmm. And if it should happen, if it should go 
squirrely on you. Are, are you prepared to uh, to sever those ties? Yes, we're we're fully prepared to sever those ties. We will not compromise uh, on uh, Catholic bioethical principles. I mean, abortion is murder. Euthanasia is murder. Gender identity is a disorder, regardless of what the politicians and the government may require. So if we have to not be Title IV eligible, we'll simply have students uh, get their funding and other methods. And there are a myriad of other ways that students can be, get funded and they'll, they'll be fine. And in the meantime, uh, between now and uh, when you plan to open, and uh, when is the, the time you plan to open? Well, again, if everything goes according to plan and we meet the standards of the um, accreditors, we hope to open in 2026. We always put disclaimers on that because mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things that can happen. I've been very fortunate in the schools I've opened in the past that things have gone pretty much on time and the accreditors have some timelines that are set. But again, all goes according to plan and we and the Holy Spirit brings us uh, generous benefactors to, to get this done 2026. I mean, yeah, it sounds expensive, but last year just seven individuals gave over $350 million to wow. Planned Parenthood. So I think we can do better than that. Absolutely. Praise be to God. Hopefully, let's pray for that. And what in the meantime, between now and 2026, there are tons of uh, Catholic um, medical students across the U.S. And, uh, and beyond. What do you recommend to these students who are trying to be good Catholics, trying to practice their faith in the medical field, but also specifically the medical schools, how do they keep the faith and not compromise on their morals and still make it through medical school? I think you just have to stay strong to your conscience. Uh, I did my residencies in anesthesiology at Yale University. And as you would expect, Yale is a very progressive, secular institution. And at that time, it was quite a while ago, the chemical abortion had just been invented. Mm. And our pain service through anesthesia covered uh, those patients because apparently it's a very painful process. And I simply, at the outset, before getting involved with the care side, I just don't do this. I'm not able to uh, participate in these pain service rounds. And uh, to their credit, <clears throat> they were very uh, understanding, accommodating, and, and they allowed me to uh, express uh, my First Amendment uh, rights and, and my freedom of conscience. So I give them credit for that, and I would urge uh, students of faith to simply uh, stay to the tenets of their faith. And the consequences uh, of violating your conscience are far greater than the consequence of a, of a bad grade on a rotation. I mean, like I said, fortunately, my experience was positive, but I know other people. I know other people have had less positive experiences, and I get calls and letters sometimes for students that are quote in trouble because they're they're holding to their freedom of conscience. But um, we know the Department of Education has recognized the First Amendment right of faith-based institutions to follow their mission, and I would uh, expect that colleges will do the same, or else, uh, well, there are remedies for that. Doc, as a follow-up question there, uh, you know, when professionals go through the, the, the process of going to school and, you know, they, they graduate, they, sometimes they have to join associations and things like that. And I'm just wondering, you know, how, um, how does that look like for somebody who holds authentic Catholic uh, medical ethics uh, for them to be a part of these, these different uh, uh, boards uh, that they might need to continue to uh, to pay into, you know, to keep their licensure and that sort of thing. 
Well, I think we all have to decide what organizations we're going to pay into and what we're not. Uh, in fact, my own organization has occasionally, and like many organized medical societies, um, tried to be political and mm -hmm. jump on a bandwagon, if you will. You can imagine after the, the Roe v. Wade was overturned, a lot of medical societies um, became woke and started sending letters to yeah. the government about their protests and how horrible it was, this and that. And I reminded them that you don't speak for me or all of your membership. You speak for a percentage of the membership that is advocating these views. So at the risk of uh, alienating members and losing membership, um, you know, they should retract things like that. I think if you can stomach uh, what your membership organization is doing, you stay with it. Or if you, you don't, if it's violating your freedom of conscience, there are organizations like the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs that uh, adheres to firm Catholic principles. So there are always alternatives. Um, you don't have to join uh, the party, if you will. You know, it's interesting yeah. you bring that up because, you know, I, this you hear all the time, the medical community believes this, the medical community has said that, and but there are many doctors who don't agree with this, and I guess the biggest uh, one we always hear is, well, the consensus of the medical field is that the, the child is not alive, or things similar to that. Uh, when people say that, what exactly do they mean? Do they mean like these these organizations that doctors are a part of, whenever people say that, are they just lying? What what exactly do people mean when they say those kind of things? Well, they paint with a broad brush. And most of these organizations are political. Some are more woke than others. And they will make these statements on behalf of their membership, but they never check with the membership. Uh, as I had written to one organization when I resigned, uh, I said, you know, you said you spoke for all these thousands of physicians. You didn't speak for me. And I'm sure you don't speak for a lot of your membership. So that's what happens. There's no occasion. There's position papers and, and votes of membership to come up with a position, but usually not. It's usually an organization makes a decision and does this. What's exciting about our medical school is that we hope that all of our students will graduate with both a medical degree and a master's mm -hmm. degree in bioethics and medical theology. Oh, wow. So that means that every year uh, we hope over 160 students will graduate and go out and be thought leaders in um, the field, people who establish medical societies, people who are leaders of their local medical staff, people who will show other physicians and other medical schools that it's okay to adhere to Catholic values. It's okay to stand for life. You yeah. don't have to do what's politically convenient and what's popular. So uh, we're coming down to the wire here on our conversation with Dr. McCaskey about this. But uh, so a couple of questions here. One is uh, in, a, in an increasingly woke world where they're not doing the Hippocratic Oath, but they're doing the woke oath. Uh, are these doctors going to find employment? Will they have to create their own, uh, uh, their own practices in order to make a living and care for patients? Number one. Number two. How easy will it be? Will there be a registry of these graduates and these doctors so that the faithful can seek them out and try to become their patients when they are, in fact, doctors? What say you, Dr. McCaskey? Yeah, we're not concerned about their employment. I mean, there's a tremendous need for physicians in the United States, and we'll be working with faithful Catholic systems for the students' clinical education. They go to school for two years on the Kansas facility to 
do classroom work. But then two years will be in hospitals and clinics around the country. We're working with the, uh, the OSFs uh, in Illinois, the Franciscan Alliance in Indiana, parts of Trinity in Michigan to deliver that faithful Catholic clinical education. And then when they graduate, uh, we believe they'll, they'll find a lot of gainful employment because who do you want taking care of you uh, as a physician when you're in the hospital? Uh, you don't want somebody running a social agenda. You don't mm. want somebody yeah. that is campaigning for office. You want somebody who cares for you as a human being created in the image and likeness of God, cares for you with love and compassion, and is an excellent physician. And I think uh, healthcare systems will seek out our physicians, uh, as will patients, because we stand for patients' life from conception to natural death. And the first thing that our physicians will not think about when you're old and disabled and infirm is, well, maybe we should just not give you water so you can die quicker. Right. Uh, our physicians will care for you as a moral human being uh, equal to others in, in the light of God. So I'm confident that our graduates will do very well. And there will there are directories of uh, faithful Catholic physicians in different specialty fields. Mm, well, that's good to hear. We're going to be keeping a close eye on this. Uh, I, I think there's a great website here, catholicmedicalschool.com. Is that the best place for people to go? That or through the Catholic Healthcare International, uh, www.chi-usa.com. And there's a section there for the medical school, and there's a lot more information on that. All right, Dr. George McCaskey, God bless you. God love you. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate this. Thank you. God bless. All right, that's going to do it for hour number one of Catholic Drive Time. That uh, ought to be very interesting. Coming up in the top of the next hour, Brent Haynes, attorney Brent Haynes, is going to be on to catch us up on some COVID and uh, some legal issues related to the woke agenda. All that, plus the game show and the after show, all coming up next hour. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Tomorrow, it's Bella Dodd. We'll see you there. Catholic Radio gives us something all day, every day, to fill our lives with our faith. We are completely inundated by the world constantly. Every time you go out shopping, the music that's playing, the the visuals that you see, TV, everything, we need Catholicism filling our minds. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. When you walk into your non-denominational church or your megachurch, what do you see? What stands out to you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, observations in a Catholic church. You will notice at least eight items, all of which have religious, historical, or biblical significance. Secondly, what are those items? As soon as you walk in, the can't-miss baptismal font, a stone altar, stained glass windows, 14 stations of Christ's passion, statues, a gold tabernacle, a lit candle near the tabernacle, and a large crucifix. Thirdly, my take. So, what seems to fill your church and truly move you toward Jesus? Oh, I know you don't need a physical or superfluous objects to move you toward Jesus. He's everywhere and in your heart. And that is true. But tell that to Moses, David, and Solomon, who were under strict and exact directions from God on how to build his house and then fill it with his Shekinah glory. I mean, does a comfy chair, does a flashy Fender guitar, does a well-fashioned stage move you toward contemplation and holiness? Remember, stages are for entertainment, but sanctuaries are for worship. Hey Donnie, what two important things do we receive when we go to Mass? 
scripture in the Eucharist. Great job. You're so smart. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today. I'm Blake Pellerin from Arrows Rugby, Houston's only Catholic rugby club, and St. Rose of Lima Catholic Community. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. I didn't get much sleep last night. And you can tell. You can you can tell every time I have failed to sleep adequately. Joe Fetterman? Because, uh... <laughs> My brain just says, nope, I'm not saying that word. You can't make me say those words correctly. See, my brain just pulls one of those fast ones. I was having a hard time last hour with that. But nonetheless, great conversation. Rep. Paul Gosar was on. That was a good conversation. And then uh, Dr. George McCaskey. And I hope I nailed his name. He never actually corrected me. So I'm going to go with I nailed it. I'm just going to. I'm going to go on the record to say I nailed it. Uh, I always assume the opposite. He's in the chat. He said, no, you didn't. He, he is not here to correct me at this time. And he See, never corrected me during the conversation. I, so I, love I clearly it. nailed it. I love it when we mm. speak to a doctor because I can just say, hey, <laughs> Doc. You're a cheater. Doc. You're Doc. What do you think hey, about? Doc. Meh, what's up, Doc? Uh-huh. I see how you go. <laughs> but, uh, sounds fascinating, though. Sounds bold. Yeah, uh, for sure. And good. Like a Catholic medical school that holds the line, doesn't compromise. Maybe if, uh, you know, we had a guest while you were out, uh, Joe, Mm -hmm. when you were out on vacation. Uh, We didn't actually, it wasn't a very good interview. We didn't, it was just a little too, um, too much information for our short segment. But uh, she was talking about how she had to escape the hospital because of bad protocol. I just wonder sometimes, yeah. you know, my dad included, he, he passed away because of bad protocol. Right. I, I think, man, what if uh, what if they had an authentically Catholic a doctor who wanted to care for them? Amen. You know? Yeah. So and cared about their good. soul. Exactly. And that too. You know, it really struck me when he was talking about the fact that um, that referring to end of life care mm-hmm. and referring to like hospice care is like we're not going to refuse them water. Mm, and yeah. I, I mean, I've heard many, many a story um, including in my own family where, you know, the, the doctors, uh, your, your family member gets very old mm-hmm. or they're not sick by any means. They're just old. And they're like, yeah, you know, they're very old. You know, if they don't, if they don't want to eat, just don't, don't try to make them. If they're, if they're not thirsty or they're not really drinking, don't give them any water. And they just like encourage you to slowly kill your family and kill and kill people. And, mm. and like, if your family is still alive and, and they're still going, Feed them, give them water. Yeah. You would think that's not something you yeah. have to say, right? Right. But uh, I, I was like, wow, the fact that he has to say that is one shocking, and second, the mm-hmm. fact that he said it gives me hope that he's like, I want to yeah. encourage our, our students to. to yeah, care but look them. what's going on in the world. I mean, we see it more in places like England than we do in America, but we have it here as well, where 
uh, someone else makes these decisions for you and for your family. And uh, and there's almost nothing. It's the medical kidnapping. There's almost nothing you can do about it. They're like, yeah. nope, no life care for those people. And then pull the plug. And it just it's mind blowing to me. So uh, I think this is good hope for a, a bright future. I, I mean, he one hundred and twenty million dollars. seems like a lot of money. So this may be the restoration that. of the Catholic or rather because the medical field is a Catholic invention. Yeah, but this might sure. be the restoration of the medical field. Yeah. We'll wow. Well, let's uh, keep a close eye on that for sure. Uh, CatholicMedicalSchool.com is the uh, is the website, by the way. Uh, at the end of the week, Michelle has been asking me, Michelle Vaughn over on our Facebook feed. And thank you, Facebook, by the way, for f- refusing to send notifications of our live feed anymore. You are the best, Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe it's because you've laid off 11,000 people. I don't know. But uh, you're just doing so awesome for us, so thank you for that. <laughs> but Michelle says uh, be sure to send the links uh, and the interview in the CDC Insider email on Friday. I will, of course, be doing that this Friday. If you want to get in on the email, then all you got to do is go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT, and you can get access to the CDT Insider email sent every Friday afternoon. I'll send the interview, I'll send the links, and I always send you goodies. Always. I take good care of you. I send you cool stuff, good entertainment, and uh, you're going to get that in your inbox. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. The other thing is... um, Tomorrow, Ken Gore is back on the on the program. Talk about doctors. Dr. Ken Gore is co-writing a book called The Devil and Belladad. There is a hot raging debate in the Catholic world as to whether or not Belladad actually helped to infiltrate Catholic seminaries in the uh, in the 19 uh, 1936 t- looks like a pivotal year according to the book. 1936 pivotal communist year. So uh, her testimony is she a thousand men, twelve hundred men? It can vary, actually. Seven. Uh, yeah. So what's 40? the real story there? Is there evidence to prove this? We're going to have that conversation. It is the sixty-four thousand dollar question, and Ken Gore is going to be on tomorrow's show to talk about that. So uh, do tune in, and please do invite all of your socialist friends to also tune in to get the to get the <laughs> the bottom line on that. That would be amazing. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Brent Haynes, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Joe. It's good to hear your voice. How are you, my friend? Well, you know, I'm glad to be an American today, Joe. I'll tell you that. Are you? Why? Why are you glad to be an American today? Well, are we just going to jump right in and talk about our friends north of the border? Oh, yeah. <laughs> in other words, uh, so your bar about being happy to be American is, is not oh, being Canada. Is not being Canadian. That's <laughs> that's really that's the extent. Of, Every morning I wake up, I yeah. thank God for not being Canadian. Lord, it's like that. What was that? Uh, the parable between the uh, the sinner and then the Pharisee. Thank God I'm not like that <laughs> sinner. <laughs> not being Canadian today, unlike those Canadians. <laughs> Yeah, uh, all right, I, well, maybe I, we should get I, some context here before we upset our, our neighbors to the north. Well, what's going on in Canada? Oh, we're not the ones who are going to upset our neighbors to the north, Joe. I think that our, our uh, religious brethren to the north are, are, are upset enough. But there is some good news up there, um, and good news south of the border we can get to in a moment. Um, but a lot of listeners might remember that during the COVID lockdowns, Canada – you know, much like some other countries in the world and much like some states such as Michigan and California instituted very severe lockdown controls. Mm -hmm. And a a pastor uh, got in the news more than once up there 
because, believe it or not, he's not a Catholic, but believe it or not, as a Christian pastor, he actually believed he should be preaching to his flock and that Christians should be able to gather to worship. So amid all of these lockdown orders, uh, he allegedly kept violating them and probably did violate some of them, considering Mm -hmm. how broad and severe they were. It got to the point where uh, he was holding services outdoors, Joe. Now, this is outdoors. And they still went and arrested him. A judge in Alberta, Canada, actually an associate judge, issued a very broad order that allowed people suspected of violating COVID laws to be arrested without a warrant. So there's a reason right there I'm glad I'm an American. You cannot be arrested in the United States unless there's a warrant or unless there's sufficient probable cause on scene, as prosecutors would say. And then you still get taken before a judge immediately. So the police uh, arrested him for having these services outdoors. But, Joe, they didn't go and arrest him at the outdoor service. They used a helicopter yeah. to track him down. Yeah. What? Yeah. And then, yeah, much worse. as with your friend, uh, as much as with your pro-life friend in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. they went and they arrested him at home in front of his children. And yeah. there's just heartbreaking yes. uh, video and photographs of his children just in tears, yeah, uh, reaching toward the car. And of him being in this uh, SUV with bars on the windows, I've never seen this before, but they have these bars on the window like it's a miniature jail cell. And there are these heartbreaking photos. Now, look, if this was some serious criminal, this would be understandable. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about very broad orders uh, up in Canada. And remember, even though they don't have a constitution in Canada, they have a charter, and the charter recognizes religious freedom. You know, so – There's that conflict there. Another thing to consider is this all happened in May of 2021. Now, when did COVID start? Yeah, COVID started. The pandemic started more than a year earlier. This was more than a year later, and they're still enforcing these extreme orders. It shows how easily religious rights can be denied by the government when, uh, when the authorities have no sympathy for people of faith. So the good news Mm -hmm. here is uh, Pastor Tim Stevens was charged with uh, criminal offenses. He was charged with a contempt of court for continuing his activities after being ordered not to. And he was issued what is referred to in all the media I can find as tickets. We could probably think of them as citations uh, for violating health rules. I just called them health tickets. The bottom line, Joe, is in the end, they were all dismissed except for two where he he went to trial and he was acquitted. Praise be to God. So, uh, yeah, so, and he spent 18 days, by the way. I know. He spent, three days in, he spent three days in jail on one occasion and 18 days in jail on the second occasion. And the only reason they let him out of jail the second time is because the policy under which he had been jailed uh, uh, was changed because what happened was Alberta raised their, changed their COVID standards. They were loosening their standards a little bit, so they decided to release him. So look, that's a man of faith. I mean, this is a man who went to jail not only once, but twice, was ripped away from his family, and all because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it so, is uh, troubling what goes on in Canada, which is one of the sparks that led to the trucker convoy protest that lasted for so long up there. And, uh, you, I mean, how bad does it have to get before Canada decides to vote in a different, different set of uh, politicians? I don't know. Uh, but well, uh, Joe, they still got Trudeau. 
And, you know, listeners might think, well, what do we care about what happens in Canada? Well, as we uh, look at what's happening in the United States, we have to consider we don't exist in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Ideas do not respect boundaries. What happens in Western Europe, what happens in Canada, what happens in Australia, what happens among all the countries of the heritage of Western civilization, those ideas circulate everywhere. And uh, what, what happens in those countries is often a precursor. These countries can serve as like the canary in the coal mine as to the ideas that will come here in the United States. Now, in the last half hour, you were just talking about the establishment of a Catholic medical school. In Canada, another attack has occurred where they have said that students who graduate from a Christian teacher's college and students who graduate from a Christian's law school don't have to get law licenses or can be denied, can be denied licenses. Now, in the case of the law school, Joe, you know, the Catholic News Agency reported this back in 2018, more than four years ago. This started in 2012. Some people got together and said, let's start a Christian law school. The short version is it went all the way through the courts, all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada, and the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that graduates of these law schools, even though the Canadian Charter on Human Rights respects religious freedom, allegedly, the Canadian Supreme Court ruled seven to two that up there they call them law societies. Here in the United States, we would call them the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it, yeah, I'm a member of a, of a bar of a state. And in order to practice, you have to have a license. In the United States, it's issued by your state bar. It's not issued by the federal government. Well, in Canada, they call them <laughs> law societies. And the Supreme Court of Canada, of Canada ruled seven to two that law societies could refuse to license graduates from the law school on the grounds wow. what, that they weren't educated properly. No, hmm. on the grounds that their views on sexuality are discriminatory yeah. to the LGBT community. Yeah, and that's why I asked that doctor in the last segment whether he thought their future of these uh, graduates would would be difficult because would they be able to get jobs more and more more and more institutions have gone fully woke. Will they even employ these people? And he seemed pretty confident that, that would uh, not be a problem. And I hope for, for their sake and for our sake, for this country's sake, that that's true. Uh, but uh, we're a hop, skip, and a jump from seeing what you just described happens in Canada happening right here. Yeah, yeah. When I heard the, uh, you know, the news they're going to start the school, you know, my first thought is, well, where are they going to do it? You know, if I'm their lawyer, I'm going to say, look, you know, I love, I love the college, love the, Benedict- the Benedictines, but let's put this in a place where we have the most legal protections possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be in Kansas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Uh, uh, well, what did Kansas just. What did Kansas yeah, they embraced the abortion. abortion they embraced yeah. abortion. So, you know, Kansas is not, is not the uh, stronghold of conservative no. social values. Absolutely not. So. But there's, a, there's also good, other good news south of the border, Joe. Um, <laughs> We're almost out of time. Got to be quick. How, how many times have you gone into a store and seen, some, seen somebody wearing an LGBTQ emblem on their store uniform? <laughs> uh, we're going to have to have you back to talk about this. When we're out of time. Brent Haynes. And this is well, this, that's the story that disturbs me the most because I give that company so much of our hard-earned money every week. Kroger, what are you doing to me? Anyway, we'll have him back. We'll talk about that another time. We're out of time. Brent Haynes, God bless you. God love you. Uh, Coming up after the break, it's time to have some fun, possibly learn something, and you could win prizes, but you have to call right now, 877-757-9424. Phone lines are open waiting for your call, 877-757-9424. 
The Bible says to call no man father. So why do we call our priests father? In Matthew 23, verse 9, it says, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Notice that this verse makes no distinction between spiritual fathers, which is what priests are, and biological fathers. This passage says that no man is to be called father. Therefore, you cannot distinguish between calling a priest father and calling the man who is married to your mother father. But is that actually what this passage is saying? Or is Jesus warning us against trying to usurp the fatherhood of God, which is what the Pharisees and scribes were doing? They wanted all attention focused on them. They were leaving God, the Father, out of the equation. And even if you just interpret this passage from Matthew 23 as an absolute ban against calling anyone your spiritual father, then there are some problems for you in the rest of Scripture. For example, Jesus in the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16 has the rich man referring to Abraham as father several times. Paul in Romans 4 refers to Abraham as the father of the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Spiritual fatherhood, not biological fatherhood. In Acts 7 and then in Acts 22, first Stephen and then Paul referred to the Jewish priests and elders as brothers and fathers. Spiritual fatherhood. So if you interpret Matthew 23 as saying we cannot call anyone our spiritual father, then you have to believe that Jesus, Paul, and Stephen all got it wrong. It is okay to call priests our spiritual fathers today. We are simply imitating the example given us by Jesus, Paul, and Stephen, all of whom who used the term in a spiritual sense. As long as we remember that our true father is God the Father and that all aspects of our fatherhood, biological and spiritual, are derived from him. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear. And trembling. Catholic <laughs> trivia game. What, what, are you what, what, are you, what are you laughing for? The Catholic trivia game show with secrets and agendas that you best not be telling anybody. You know, <laughs> Rudy, you got to stop laughing, bro. Uh, but, but here's the deal, all right? If you promise to keep this between us, I shall share with you all of our secrets and agendas. Number one, we like to teach the faith, so we look for teachable moments in the questions where you might learn something that you did not know before, praise be to God. And then, of course, we like to have a laugh. We like to have a chuckle. And uh, our callers are amazing. They laugh with us, and we enjoy that probably most. And then, of course, we give out prizes, which means this is a winner for everybody involved, all right? You could laugh, learn, and win prizes. It's a winner. All right, so that's the deal. But the kicker is, the secret sauce in all of this is we do not ask the caller the questions. They may not know a single correct answer, but could still win the prizes. And that's because instead of asking them, I shall ask Rudy and Adrian, one of which will give us a correct answer. The other will give us an incorrect answer. The caller will then have 15 seconds to make a decision. Whomst do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? And if they get that right, they'll go into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. You're still chuckling over there. 
<laughs> what could they win, Rudy? Praise be to God. We are giving away another every Sacred Sunday Mass Journal. If you're looking at the uh, feed on our, our uh, social media platforms, you can see me holding it up here. For those of you who are radio listeners, I will explain to you what it looks like. It is a dusty blue a book cloth covered hardbound journal and it contains all of the readings for the mass uh, and it starts on in advent so the person who's going to win this this week is going to be able to follow along with all of the mass readings and jot down all of those wonderful inspirations they may receive in the mass in the gospel in the readings from the homily and you're going to be growing in your interior life this week's prize was generously sponsored by gloria lopez thank you so much gloria for giving us these journals to give away all right praise be to god we are very grateful gloria lopez for your generous gift let's go to the phones al good morning to you sir good morning Al, can you do me a favor and uh, just turn down your radio? So, because we're getting some feedback there, and uh, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear me. I want to hear you. Uh, see, there you are. Right, praise be to God. Good morning, Al. Where are you calling from? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Where are you calling from, Al? Al. Can you hear me now? Uh, I changed from far to speak my phone. Well, good morning, Al. We're glad you're on with us today. Where are you calling from? Rockville, Maryland. Rockville, Maryland. Nice. In the house. Praise be to God. Uh, where do you go to church, Al? St. Patrick's, Rockville. Nice. Well, uh, we are grateful you are on the team today. Are you familiar with this show? Do you know how the game works, sir? Oh, yes, I do. Oh, wow. You see that? Oh, yes, He's a I fan. do. You said that like you... Uh, like there's a, hmm, like you might have an opinion on things there, Al. Uh, is it Rudy or Adrian who you find the most tricky? I'm just curious. Oh, most tricky? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe McLean. I'm sorry. What, Al? What? Joe McLean? Did you say Adrian? I, 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 heard, I heard Joe McLean. <laughs> I, I heard Joe McLean. I think, I think we don't even need to ask him questions now. Just put his name in the cup three times. I mean, I mean, the good, the true, and the beautiful all in one sentence there, Al. Well done. You're well played. All right. Uh, we're going to start. We're going to go ahead and go with the first question. You should know. It looks as the... Nope. He's wearing a tie today. However, he has abandoned his jacket. Rudy is wearing some sort of... Like, it's, we're in Texas. It's 98 degrees outside, and he's got, like, a hot coat on or something. <laughs> so uh, you, should, uh, you should take that into consideration, Al. Are you ready to play, sir? I am ready to play. Let's do this thing. Rudy, you're not in Colorado, uh, but you are stylish. Can you tell me, sir, <laughs> who is the patron saint of Ecuador? Ecuador. Is that how you say it? Mi gente. Mm-hmm. That is Santo Latitud. Is that how you're supposed to say that? Latitude. Yeah. Latitude. 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 Santo. Kind of like. Latitude. Latitude. Okay. I'm not actually Ecuadorian, by the way. Uh, I was starting to question things. All right. Let's see what Adrian says. Adrian. Um, I, I think you identify as an Ecuadorian, if I remember from Twitter well, correctly. Well, n- not quite. I, I uh-huh. identify as a PhD on Ecuadorians. Oh, my yeah. bad. Yeah. My mistake. Okay. I actually, I know everything about Ecuadorians. All right, Dr. Fonseca. Could you tell me, who is the patron saint of Ecuador? Yes, that would be uh, St. Marianne of Jesus de Paredas. St. Marianne of Jesus de Paredas? Yes, sir. All right. Okay. Okay. Al, uh, I don't know if you are an expert in patron saints of Ecuador, but uh, 
Adrian says St. Marianne of Jesus de Paredes versus uh, Rudy says St. Latitude. 15 seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Al in Maryland. What say you, sir? Good, sir. Adrian is correct. I'm sorry. One more time. Adrian is correct. Uh, Look at that. Al over here. Al over here being a genius. I had greater hopes. He's intelligent. He's wise. He's attractive. I I can tell from the radio that he's attractive. No, I. When you started, you started so strong, Al. You were you were confident. You understood the game, and then then you go and say things like Adrian is correct. I mean, like I don't know, Al. Don't worry, mate. I know. (sighs) Just trust the science. Trademark over the E. Okay, it is true. Adrian is technically correct. Okay. Uh, but one should not do so with such great confidence, admit that he is correct. But nonetheless, he is right. And so are you, Al. St. Mary Ann of Jesus de Paredes is the correct answer. You're in the cup. You could win, Al. Congratulations. Excellent. Let's see if we can't double your cross, though. <laughs> double your cross? <laughs> there you go. Way to go, double Al. Double your chances, not your cross. How does it feel to be younger I mean, now that you said you probably have correct? a a heavy enough cross as it is out. But let's see if we can double your chances <laughs> nonetheless. We're gonna get... go well, I am a joyful person. Oh, praise be to God. Adrian, can you tell me? Maybe. <laughs> uh, this ought to go interesting. How many crossbars does a papal cross have? How many crossbars does a papal cross have? Yes, sir. Well, as a PhD in uh, the topic of mini. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know all the minis. Do you? And I would say, you know, mm-hmm. they're going to double the cross. Really? And so there are two. <laughs> How many crossbars? There are two. Are there? I'm pretty sure Joe was giving me a hint there. No. I think that's what it was. No. Okay. Uh, let's go with uh, Rudy here in more ways than one. Uh, can you tell me, Rudy Carlos, how many crossbars does a papal cross have? The papal cross has mm. three bars. Really? But don't ask me what that means. Oh, no. Because I have no idea. There's no connection. I've just seen it. No. It has three bars. We shouldn't connect the dots here on what three could mean or two. Or I suppose we could uh, attribute some sort of no, some sort of uh, knowledge of okay. what three would be and yeah. okay. apply it to the crossbars. But, I see. Uh, I see. Hmm. All right, Al. Uh, how many crossbars does a papal cross have? Does it have three? As Rudy suggests, or does it have two? As Adrian would like us to believe. 15 I'm, seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Al in Maryland, what say you? I'm trying to picture the papal flag in my church, and I think it has three, so I'm going to go with Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> what a wise... Curve what a wise ball, Low right corner, and you uh, you nailed it. Good job. You did not Despite swing. Despite that, did not that swing Joe try to trick you. Yeah, Was I Joe actually to trying you. to trick you? Double the cross. I didn't get any sleep last night, Al, so I blame it on uh, sleep depravity. But nonetheless, you did not fall for it. You are in for two. Congratulations. Uh, you could go for a perfect score here. Um, they're, they, if you paid attention to the first hour, you may have what you need. You may have what you need. This is the hardest the question I've ever had, actually. Uh, but the first hour gave well, you the clues. The We're answer has never been said before. We're gonna go, he was set the last was, hour. No, you're just talking Stop about it. Stop it. Okay, here we go. Rudy, who was the professor that taught St. Thomas Aquinas? Hmm. Guy by the name of Al. 
Really? St. Albert the Great. Are you being serious? Yeah. Are you making that up? Sounds made up. You know the character Al Bundy? He was inspired by St. <laughs> Albert the Great. Yeah. Was he? Yeah. I don't think that's true. Because one of the students used to go, Ah, Al? Oh, I see. Was that yeah. Aquinas they would say that? Yeah, I think uh, so, actually. Okay. Uh, Adrian, uh, maybe you could help here. Uh, I, I think you've got a tattoo of this guy on your chest or something. Could you tell me, who was the professor of St. Thomas Aquinas? Yes, that would be St. Dominic. What? St. Dominic, the founder of the Dominican Order. Are you being serious? Was a professor to St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay, yep. okay. you got tough choices here, Al. Uh, who was the professor that Boy. taught Thomas Aquinas? Was it St. Dominic, as Adrian says, or St. Albert the Great? As Rudy wants us to believe, 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who is wrong in Rockville, Maryland? Al, what say you? I'm going back to Rudy. I know. I'm going back to Adrian and saying St. Dominic. No! (laughs) so sorry! (laughs) St. Dominic was dead by the time St. Thomas became a Dominican. Oh, I feel like I let you down, Al. That, that's uh, that's okay. I take responsibility for it, but it was Adrian that threw that curveball. It is St. Albert the Great is the correct answer. And uh, here's another little pro tip for you. Don't get a tattoo of these people on your chest. But otherwise, <laughs> you're in for two, and you could win. You were amazing, Al. Thanks for playing our game. Thanks for having a laugh with us today. We really enjoyed it. Me too. Thank Good. you very much, Doug. God bless you, Al. We appreciate you uh, being on the team today. Have a great day. Whatever you're doing, we're going to be praying for you, of course. Do keep us in your prayers. That's going to do it for the radio side of the show. Join us in the after show, where we'll continue the laughs, the chuckles, and more interesting conversation with you directly. You get to conversate with us and tell us what you think. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Hang out with us in the live video feed tomorrow. It's Bella Dodd and Paul Kengor. All of that and more. God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Albert the Great. The intention of today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. In the midst of the church he opened his mouth and the Lord filled him with the spirit of wisdom and understanding and clothed him in a robe of glory. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In the midst of the church he opened his mouth, and the Lord filled him with the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and clothed him in a robe of glory. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Albert the Great, who lived in the 1200s, grew up in southern Germany in a noble family. He went to university in northern Italy, and while there, against the wishes of his family, joined the young Dominican order. After he was ordained a priest, he then taught in different places in southern Germany and in France, eventually becoming a professor at the University of Paris, where one of his students was St. Thomas Aquinas. He was known to be a, a master and a teacher of all the different forms of learning at the time, not only philosophy and theology, but also what you and I would call mathematics, the natural sciences, and even the social sciences. He, uh, in his 50s, was a provincial for the Dominicans. In his 60s, was appointed Bishop of Regensburg in Germany before being released from this to go and preach the, the, uh, the latest crusade for the Pope. He later sought to make peace between different warring parties and also defended the mendicant orders as well as the teachings of his late student, St. Thomas Aquinas. He died in this, on this day in the year 1280 and he was declared a doctor that is a teacher of the Universal Church, sometimes called the Universal Doctor because of his breadth of knowledge and teaching. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy. You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Let us pray. O God, who made the Bishop St. Albert great by his joining of human wisdom to divine faith, grant, we pray, that we may so adhere to the truths he taught, that through progress in learning we may come to a deeper knowledge and love of you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. A reading from the book of Revelation. I, John, heard the Lord saying to me, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. The one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. I know your works, that you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen what is left, which is going to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, then how you accepted and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not watchful, I will come like a thief, and you will never know at what hour I will come upon you. However, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me, dressed in white, because they are worthy. The victor will thus be dressed in white, and I will never erase his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name in the presence of my Father and of his angels. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, 
the source of God's creation, says this, I know your works. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich and affluent and have no need of anything. And yet you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments to put on so that your shameful nakedness may not be exposed and buy ointment to smear on your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and chastise. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will enter his house and dine with him and he with me. I will give the victor the right to sit with me on my throne, as I myself first won the victory and sit with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears ought to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. I will seat the victor beside me on my throne. I will seat the victor beside me on my throne. He who walks blamelessly and does justice, who thinks the truth in his heart and slanders not with his tongue. I will seat the victor beside me on my throne. Who harms not his fellow man, nor takes a reproach against his neighbor, by whom the reprobate is despised, while he honors those who fear the Lord. I will seat the victor beside me on my throne. Who lends not his money at usury and accepts no bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be disturbed. I will seat the victor beside me on my throne. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. God loved us and sent his Son as expiation for our sins. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. At that time, Jesus came to Jericho and intended to pass through the town. Now a man there named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and also a wealthy man, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When he reached the place, Jesus looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. And he came down quickly and received him with joy. When they saw this, they began to grumble, saying, He has gone to stay at the house of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I shall give to the poor. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I shall repay it four times over. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a descendant of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. The Gospel of the Lord. The saint that we celebrate today, Saint Albert the Great, was one who was instrumental in a sense in recovering the teaching of Aristotle from many centuries before and of using it within the church. But he did not stop by only learning and teaching these writings. For he did something that to you and me would seem rather ordinary, but was rather remarkable for the time, which was this. Contrary to the practices of the time in learning, when he was studying the natural sciences, he did not simply learn from a book and stop there, which is what most people did. He believed that you needed to, if you were studying natural things like animals or the, the, the earth or the ground or something like that, you should actually go and look at it yourself. You should do observation, scientific observation. Again, to you and me, ordinary, but to the time, really quite unusual. Well, considering that St. Albert was not content to simply stay on the surface, but wanted to extend himself to learn further, so I think he would be giving us encouragement as we listen to today's readings. We are early in the book of Revelation, and we know early in the book that there are these messages that our Lord Jesus passes through St. John to seven churches in the province of Asia, which is what you and I would now call far western Turkey. And so today we're hearing the fifth and the seventh of those messages. And as you and I listen to this, we may find ways in which we need to examine ourselves, too, like these early churches did, and perhaps make some changes. So it is the church of Sardis we hear the Lord says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. It seems that they, and sometimes we, might on the outside look as if we are spiritually alive. People look at us and they think, oh yes, there's a faithful Catholic. Look at what that person is doing. Look at the works they're carrying out. But you might know that perhaps the outside works do not reflect what's on the inside. Perhaps on the inside, you're spiritually dead. Perhaps you've fallen away from your life of prayer. Or perhaps right now you are guilty of a mortal sin, which you have not brought to confession. For we know that in baptism we are given a share in Christ's own divine life. But when we commit a mortal sin, it's called mortal because it kills that share in the divine life, and we're spiritually dead. How are we spiritually raised back to life? when we go to the sacrament of confession. There Christ raises us spiritually from the dead, gives us that back. Now, five centuries before the time of the book of Revelation, the Greek historian Herodotus wrote of the people of Sardis that they were immoral and licentious. This may well have easily infected some of the church, too, since they're surrounded by it. Well, you and I, too, we're in a culture that is very sexually immoral in lots of different ways. It may be that some of you listening to my voice might be guilty of some sexual sin as well. Maybe it's something you do with someone else. Maybe it's something you do by yourself. Maybe it's something that you've made very public. Maybe it's something you kept private. But here too, the Lord says, You're dead, but I invite you to come to me to have life. Come to me that I may restore your life. Don't be satisfied with only the appearance of being alive. Come to me for true life. To the church in Laodicea, we hear the, the, the Lord saying, I, I know that you are neither cold nor hot. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The Lord may have used these words because there was a famous warm spring near Laodicea, which of course I'm sure people found very pleasant. 
But the Lord is speaking to the church in Laodicea and saying, you know, you are not truly dedicated to me. You are making yourself compromise with the world around you. You're being pleasant to them, right? You're following me, but not entirely. You know, perhaps you're compromising with the false beliefs around you. Or you're compromising with some of the not-so-good actions around you. So that you seem very pleasant and friendly and nice and comfortable to people around you. But to me, you're being less than faithful. Perhaps that's something that you have done. And you need to be concerned less with the opinions of people around you and more with being truly hot, truly 100% sold out, dedicated to Christ in how you live. Of course, as we examine ourselves, we have this beautiful image from our Lord. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will enter his house and dine with him and he with me. The Lord is knocking on your door. Or, speaking of the Gospel reading, we might say he's looking up the tree that you're in, like Zacchaeus. He's saying, I want to stay in your home. We hear how Zacchaeus responded with joy, and in his joy, changed radically. In his joy, he suddenly knew the right thing to do and was ready to do it. So may it be with you and me. The Lord is knocking on our door. The Lord is calling up our tree. He wants us to have life. He wants us to be truly hot, truly dedicated to him. And we open that door, and we invite him in. Brothers and sisters, let us ask the Lord for his spirit to pray in us and with us. That the Lord may guard his church and save his people. Let us pray to the Lord. That he may give abundant harvest to farmers and accompany those who are traveling. Let us pray to the Lord. That he may visit those who are dying and care for those who suffer. Let us pray to the Lord that he may fill us with the desire to live holy lives and satisfy our eagerness to improve. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord that today, God may give us strength in our work, direct our progress, and perfect the works of our day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord we ask that you pour into our hearts the gift of charity and grant us the good things that we have asked of you, so that as we live confidently under your protection, we may seek you with all our heart and faithfully carry out your will through Christ our Lord. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through our goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the sacrifice which we gladly present on the feast day of Blessed Albert be pleasing to you, O God. For taught by him, we too give ourselves entirely to you in praise. Through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For as on the festival of St. Albert, you bid your church rejoice, so too you strengthen her by the example of his holy life, Teach her by his words of preaching, and keep her safe in answer to his prayers. And so, with the company of angels and saints, we sing the hymn of your praise, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis Uncheli et Terra, Gloria Tua. Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy therefore these gifts we pray by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me.
the mystery of faith. Save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you, your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Degegi, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Degegi, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Degegi, qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed.
an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. He who ponders the law of the Lord day and night will yield his fruit in due season. He who ponders the law of the Lord day and night will yield his fruit in due season. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. He who ponders the law of the Lord day and night will yield his fruit in due season. Let us pray. Through Christ the teacher, O Lord, instruct those you feed with Christ the living bread, that on the feast day of blessed Albert they may learn your truth and express it in works of charity. Through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Now, mighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. 
from every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Hi, this is Maureen Sanders from 